Live from the Old Church Concert Hall in Portland, Oregon, it's Portland Story Theater's Urban Tellers. May the narrative be with you. In 1999, I was living in my car at the Wilsonville rest stop on, off of I-5. The previous eight months leading up to that, I was going into emergency rooms, urgent cares, and doctor's offices, and I was lying to them about having low back pain so that I could get narcotic pain medication. My life at this point was a complete mess. I had recently lost my job. A woman I was in love with had left me because I couldn't get sober. I was kicked out of the place where I was living, hence living in my car, and I had almost no money to my name. Now, I had been to two treatment centers by this time in my life, and I had multiple attempts at getting sober in 12-step recovery programs, and sometimes having great success. But here I was, one more time, addicted to narcotics. <clears throat> I stayed there for five days, contemplating suicide and eating the remainder of the pain medication that I had. I thought that I was a person who couldn't get sober. So <clears throat> on the fifth day, three miracles happened. I realized that I still had health insurance until the end of the month. That's a bonus. Somehow I made it to Kaiser in North Portland from Wilsonville on an empty tank of gas. And when I walked into Kaiser, up to the help desk, there was this grandmotherly figure there, and I went up to her and I told her that I was desperate for help, that I was addicted to pain medication and I needed to get back into treatment. And she reached across the desk and she grabbed my hand, like your grandmother does, and she looked me right in my eyes and said to me, don't worry, honey, we'll help you. And that night, I ended up back in treatment. So I guess you could say there was four miracles that day. A few days after being in treatment, I was thinking to myself, what the hell is 21 days in treatment gonna do for me? And I walked into my therapist's office there at the treatment center, and I said to him that exact thing, what the hell is 21 days gonna do for me? At the end of the 21 days, sure, I'll be sober for 21 days, but I'm still not gonna have a place to live, I'm not gonna have any money, I don't have a job. I mean, what's the point? And he looked at me and he told me, he said, a lot can happen in 21 days if you stay. So why don't you just stay? And besides, what else you got to do? So I stayed. And that second week in treatment, this group came in from the Oxford House. Now I had no idea who the Oxford House was, but it's a national program where people who own houses rent their give their houses to the Oxford group to lease and then people like myself who are trying to get sober or back on their feet can rent a room in one of these houses and it's sober living. It's a way to get your life back together. So I got a list of the houses that, were, uh, that had openings. And that following Monday, I made an appointment to interview to get into one of these houses. So I got permission to leave the treatment center, which I'm not sure if that was a wise decision on their part. Um, so I went to the to the, the house that was over on 50th and Woodstock. And when I walked into the house, there were six guys sitting around the living room. And as soon as I walked in there, I instantly got into judgment about who was there. 
There was a guy there named One-Armed Jim because he had lost his arm because he had got an infection from shooting meth so long. There were two guys in there that were losing their teeth for the same reason. And I was thinking to myself, I am better than these people. I should not be here. I should not be having to interview to get into this house. And I sat down reluctantly and I answered all their questions. And at the end of the interview, they said, would you like to go upstairs and see the room that's available? I said, sure. I go upstairs, they open the door, and I peek my head in and I think, I have had closets in houses bigger than this room. I drove back to the treatment center and I walked in and there was this woman in there that I was in treatment with and she came running up to me and she says, how was it? All giddy, she was way more excited about Dr. House than I was at that point. And I told her about one-armed Jim, about the guys who were losing their teeth and how I couldn't believe I had to interview to get in there. And then to top it all off, this room is smaller than closets I've had in my houses. And she looked at me and she said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. She said, is the room bigger than your car? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, and I was instantly snapped back into the reality of my situation. And I was no different than those six guys in that house. I had a different upbringing. I had different circumstances in my life. But we were all there fighting to save our lives and to get sober. And I moved into that house. And I stayed there for a year. And when I moved out, I stayed sober for an extended period of time. And my life got tremendously better. I got married, I bought my first house, I got back into real estate. My life was becoming unrecognizable to me and to many other people around me. And I'd love to sit up here and say that I have been sober ever since, but addiction creeped back into my life a couple of years ago. I decided that I was gonna start drinking non-alcoholic beer. Now, I have since come to realize that non-alcoholic beer is for non-alcoholics. <laughs> and I was apparently drinking the crap out of this stuff. So much so that I convinced myself that maybe I wasn't an alcoholic, that maybe I was just a drug addict, because all of my relapses have been mostly around pain medication. So on the way home from work one day, I stopped at the store and I grabbed, bought four beers. I don't know why four, just bought four beers. I shoved them into my backpack. I came home, I kissed my wife, Anna. I grabbed a non-alcoholic beer. I went upstairs, I shut the door and I slammed the four beers as fast as I could. Now there should have been signs right there for me because people who don't have issues with alcohol don't sneak beer in the house drink behind closed doors, and then lie to their spouse about it. This turned into a daily occurrence pretty quickly. And so what then I had, I had a disposal problem. <laughs> because I had all of these cans stacking up. And I came up with this brilliant idea that I would stick a hefty trash can bag inside a big suitcase that I had upstairs in this closet, and I would throw the empties inside this bag which worked for a while until I couldn't zip the suitcase anymore. 
so I had to figure out how to get rid of this bag of can of bags, bag of cans. And so when my wife left the house, I ripped it out of the suitcase and I ran out to my car and I drove around the neighborhood until I found a homeless person and I gave them the cans. And in my sick mind, I was telling myself that I was giving back to society. Because <laughs> there were 50 to 75 cans in these bags and I was doing this every 10 to 12 days. Now you're probably asking yourself, how in the hell, Steve, can you not see that you have a problem at this point? Well, that's addiction. That's the denial system. So I came up with brilliant idea number two, and that was if I wanted to stop having a disposal problem, I should just start drinking vodka. <laughs> because then I only have a bottle to get rid of, not 50 cans. Smart. <laughs> that didn't work very well. And within short order, I was drinking a fifth of vodka a day, which went on for nine straight months. And the guilt and the shame and the remorse about lying about this and the praying to just open my mouth and tell somebody, because I felt like I was dying. Tell somebody I know in recovery, tell my wife, tell anybody just to make this stop. And I couldn't do it. And it got to the point where I was the person who had to take a drink in the morning in order to stop shaking. <clears throat> so one morning after I came to, I walked into the bathroom and I caught my reflection in the mirror. And I did a double take and I turned the light on and I had this big black eye that to this day I have no idea how I got. And I knew then that if I didn't come up with some sense of courage that I was in serious trouble. And I managed to email my doctor, who was also a friend of my wife's, and tell her everything. And she called me about an hour after I sent that email. And she said to me, you cannot just stop drinking. We have to medically detox you because I'm afraid you're gonna have a seizure. And I will help you with that, but you need to go and tell Anna before I'll do this. She goes, I'll call you back in an hour. So I sat in that room for 30 minutes, panic-stricken, full of fear, because I knew that when I walked out into that living room and told my wife that I had been drinking for the last 14 months without her knowing about it, that it was gonna change her life. And if I thought that the distance between Wilsonville and Kaiser in North Portland was a long ways away, the 15 steps from that bedroom to the living room was unbelievably far. But I also knew that if I didn't go out there, that I could die. That's how sick I was. So I walked out in the living room, I sat down, and I spilled my guts. I've been drinking for the last 14 months. I feel like I'm gonna die. Dr. Heidi's gonna call us in 30 minutes. I'm so sorry, I was crying. And then I waited for her to say something, and she didn't say anything. But she didn't have to say anything, because the look on her face were words enough. Now I've relapsed before in relationships, but this was the first time that I felt someone else's pain for stuff that I had done. That was 10 months ago yesterday. And uh, I have submerged myself back into recovery. Anna and I have been in therapy 
almost every week for the last 10 months, and uh, we're doing much better. I feel like a human being again. Uh, you know, there's hope in my life. Now, living in that rest stop was probably the most tragic time of my life. And I've told that story a number of times in 12-step meetings. And one day, a guy in the meeting stood up and gave me the nickname Rest Stop Steve. And you know, I like a cool nickname. Um, <laughs> and occasionally, I'll get phone calls from people who says, hey, Rest Stop Steve, uh, I'm at your old house and the grass needs to be cut. Or, you know, you're out of toilet paper. And it's, it's funny, I laugh. But it's also a great reminder that no matter how good my life gets, the rest stop isn't that far away. <laughs>